Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963, and Survival of the Richest, Donald Jeffries separates the real from the unreal. Fact from fiction. Fact from fiction. Reverse engineering our manufactured reality. And now, from just outside the swamp-infested Washington, D.C., this is I Protest with Donald Jeffries. And welcome to I Protest. This is Donald Jeffries. As the band says, coming to you from just outside, <clears throat> excuse me, the Swamp at the Festival of Washington, D.C., as we do every Friday at this time. Been doing it for years now. Uh, we have a guest today, and this, since the uh, the Texas border is reeling in the news, I wanted to do a show that we could focus a little bit on that. So I'm not sure what's going to happen there, how legitimate Governor Abbott is, but uh, or not, but uh, it's... It's certainly interesting. That's from a problem that's been actually around for a long time. Our guest is uh, Jason Nelson, who's a military veteran who has uh, done a lot of work down there on the border. He's been very involved. And he's he's got firsthand perspective that's invaluable at this point because you know, those of us I'm on the East Coast and people all around the world are listening to this and uh, but they're out there in the heart of it. And he is in the beast of the belly. So Jason, welcome to the show. Hey Don, thank you so much for having me on today. I genuinely appreciate it. The big well, topic. It, it, it definitely is. It's my pleasure. So tell us a little bit how uh, you were, you had a, a military career. I talk about that a little bit if you want. I assume that you, like so many veterans we talk to, you go in probably patriotic. You know, you know, you want to certainly want you you want to fight for your country, and you think you're, you know, you're you're doing the right thing. And then most people, like Tony, my producer, he's he was a, a Gulf War veteran and everything too. So there's there's a lot of people become disillusioned with it. So what was your military career like and how, how long were you in and when did you get out? And then tell us what happened after that. You know, Don, I got to tell you, most people don't ask that question that way. And I really genuinely appreciate the way that you worded that. Um, that's it. No, that's a That's a very honest way of asking because I didn't serve, you know, four years and then sort of have a retrospective or even eight. I, I mean, I served 19 and a half years. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, when I went into the Marine Corps, when I was 18 years old, I went in because I was 18 and I wanted to become a better man. I wanted to become a stronger man. I wanted to become a better citizen. I wanted to serve my country. Um, my experience in the Marine Corps in, involved a, a great group of people, but at the same time, it wasn't a very fulfilling experience in the sense that um, I felt that I had uh, more I could contribute. Uh, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I, I went to college and I, I got a a degree in, in communications and I sort of was was working in the civilian sector. And what had happened was I, I remember my brother, who was a hundred percent disabled from the Marine Corps, we'd served together. We uh, I used to watch the ticker. Um, I believe it was George Stephanopoulos that was putting it on every uh, Sunday. He would put a ticker that showed every person who had died in Iraq or Afghanistan that week along with their age and where they came from. And I remember sitting there and thinking I was seeing a lot of 19 year olds and seeing a lot of 35 year olds. And here I was at the age of 30. And I thought I, I have so much more that I can give and I could do one of two things. I could replace somebody's body on that line. Somebody who was a family, someone who hasn't led a life yet, or hopefully even better provide some leadership, some guidance and experience that I'd had coupled with further training and, and maybe make a difference and, and help bring some people home. Um, I, I didn't go in disillusioned with this idea that that I was going to go to Afghanistan and, and change the world. But I did decide to go into civil affairs and psychological operations, which is a part of the uh, USASOC, United States Army Special Operations. 
And the reason I did that was, is that I, I wanted to go in and solve problems and I, and civil affairs really focuses on solving complex problems with simple solutions, with measurable, uh, we call it a measure of effectiveness, meaning we, we say we're going to do this. And then we say, these are the markers that should indicate what we did worked. Uh, we use minimal resources. The idea is to allow people to stand on their own feet and allow it to become organic and, and something that fits within a community. The idea is to um, ease human suffering in, in a kinetic environment. Um, <clears throat> and it's tip of the spear. And, and, and I was not disillusioned. I saw a lot of horrible things in Afghanistan that, you know, we know we uh, were told was because custom was where we were told was not our business. You know, the, uh, the rape and, and selling of children, uh, the way women were treated. Um, and, but at the same time, I felt like there was a lot that I did that was good. And, you know, when I returned to the States, I, I had the opportunity to be involved in humanitarian missions and opportunities to travel internationally and train foreign forces, uh, the ability to, uh, work with multiple units across the United States and, and the missions that stretched everywhere from, uh, PACOM, the Pacific command all the way to Africa. Uh, and Ukraine, actually. <clears throat> but I will say that by the time I was approaching the end of my service, uh, I, it's not that I was disillusioned because I never went in with this true idea that, hey, we're there to help. The idea was we're there to help as much as it helps the interest of the United States. But watching the wind down in Afghanistan was a, was a huge eye opener for us because we saw that not only uh, had we not gained anything, but in the end, we were possibly leaving our allies in a much worse position. Um, I, I, I think that right about the time that that was happening, of course, we had COVID and watching our U.S. government do, according to our civil affairs standards, everything that you would do in a pandemic, but the opposite. So doing everything wrong, almost seemingly on purpose. And then when you took it further, when they started mandating vaccines, that's the reason I left. I left on January 31st, two years ago. Uh, I retired uh, six months short of a retirement. And although I'm 100% combat disabled, they would have carried me through. Uh, they generally take mm. care of their own. But I left because I refused the vaccine. And so you lost you lost a lucrative retirement and you were so close all because of your principles about the vaccine. Absolutely. I There was wow. no way that I was going to take an unproven uh, drug into my body. I wouldn't allow my children to take it. So I, I had to stand up. So and I didn't want that to define who I was. Um, you know, that's I, I left and, and and ran for Congress. I started a business. Um, we're doing uh, uh, things in our community. This is very important to us. But when you talk about when I look and reflect on my um, military career, it's interesting because behind me, you'll see I have I have two flags. But this flag right here has been everywhere in the world. And when I say everywhere, I do mean uh, everywhere. And I've flown it on special days. It's flown over uh, New York City on 9-11. It's flown on July 4th in Afghanistan. It's flown on July 4th over Washington, D.C. I mean, you pick a place uh, uh, internationally, I've brought it with me. I carried it everywhere. The last time I flew that flag was when I was running for Congress, when I went down and had a meeting with Border Patrol down at the border. And I flew the flag at the border um, and folded it up and said I could never fly it again because I was so ashamed of watching one of the metrics by which we measured um, the success uh, uh, and and the overall ability of a nation to conduct business. Uh, when I saw one of the huge metrics that we used uh, that would define a, a civilization and decline a country and collapse, and I saw it in person, I said, 
um, I, I can't fly this flag anymore. This is embarrassing. Uh, it's embarrassing for every single person who ever took an oath to defend this constitution and defend this country. And, and so I think looking back, I see now I, by the time I was at the end of my career, I realized I did some, some, uh, adding and I came up with the numbers that our troops were, were expected to attend more classes about wokeism, about transgenderism, about sexual harassment. The combined hours they spend in that training superseded any time that they spend on their primary weapon system. Forget secondary weapons, uh, just their primary weapon system. So they spend more time in class learning touchy-feely stuff than they do about how to actually conduct themselves in combat. So you look at these things and you go, well, this is this is just the result of where we're at now. You know, I mean, I'm done. I, I, I can no longer, I don't, you don't see, these are just patches from people I served with, but there's no medals up there. There's no, and I'm, I'm highly decorated. I don't mean that in a braggadocia way. I mean, I'm embarrassed of my service at this point, watching the pullout from Kabul uh, on down to uh, how we are conducting uh, or failing to conduct ourselves around the world right now, strengthening China, strengthening Iran, strengthening Russia, uh, strengthening uh, terrorist groups, the way we're conducting ourselves at our border. Quite frankly, uh, I'm almost embarrassed to tell people that I spent 20 years with those organizations. No, I, I can. I mean, I, I think that's probably a prevalent. When when you were in the military, uh, <clears throat> uh, just what were your observations in terms of uh, just because you talked about wokeism and all that stuff, and how the the, the mil people like General Milley and I, I, people like that that are not exactly military leaders, uh, you know, Admiral Levine and whatever position she holds or he she holds. Um, do you do you think if we had let's say uh, you know, again I I think our foreign policy has been a disaster for decades it's uh, this bipartisan nonsense of meddling and interfering and interventionism everywhere but if we, there was an enemy that could like China or Russia that might be strong enough and wanted to invade us do you think at this point that this woke military what would happen against I mean I, I'm just guessing that they'd be slaughtered by China or Russia what 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 do you think how would we fare against them Gosh <clears throat> so. When you think about the asymmetrical warfare that would be required to invade the United, invade the United States, yeah, I mean, uh, be obviously, right. Yeah, yeah. So when you think in those terms, obviously there would be a lot uh, foundationally that would they would go after our infrastructure, our grid, so that uh, quite frankly, as a country, we would be in utter chaos. But if but if we're just talking about a war, like just a piece of land, and the U.S. has to go up against China or Russia. Um, <clears throat> the reality is is that our special forces have been strained to the limits for years. Um, the, I'll put it as a better example. You know, when I was in boot camp in the Marine Corps, and this is way back in 1997, when I was in boot camp, there were two obstacle courses at Paris Island. There was an obstacle course for men and there was an obstacle course for women. Now at the time there were no women in infantry, but the idea was that every Marine is a rifleman. And my thought was, if female battalions were coming, they see females coming, are they going to lower the hedgerows? Are they going to lower the obstacle? Are they going to lower the, the amount of weight of people you're pulling up? None of that matters, right? So right. the military is meant to be the ultimate meritocracy. You can either do the job or you can't. And if you are the strength in certain areas, for example, intelligence analysis, something like that, uh, then we would want to put you in an area where you would most succeed. Why would you set up a unit for failure? So when I was at the tail end of my army career, I had the opportunity to go to boats. And when I went there, I can tell you that in the courses, they were uh, 
kids who were coming in, because I had to go in even as a, a senior staff and CEO, I still had to go and, and take some of the basic courses. So you're sort of off to the side, but the point is, is that you have kids who are in AIT, advanced individual training. In the army, that means that's right after boot camp. And you had kids who could not meet the minimum standards, the minimum female standards. You had women who couldn't meet the minimum female standards. That's like 20 push-ups. Yeah. And they were still being carried forward under the idea that they would improve. Like, hey, well, you're not going to get liberty. You can't go to the PX, whatever, but keep doing push-ups. And you would watch for eight weeks or 12 weeks or however long I was at that course. And in the difference between that and when I went to battle staff, which was with just, just a bunch of senior staff NCOs, you know, where, where we all had to go in PT and, and you would see the difference. And you thought, we have literally set the standard so low and we can't even meet that, but we carry it forward. And rather than rejecting people and seeking only the <clears> finest <throat> and telling people, that's why I went in the Marine Corps. I went in the Marine Corps because I knew it had a failure rate that was high. And so you that, saw this in the Marines. You're talking about you saw this kind of wokeism in the Marines. Well, I mean, that was the original. And I mean, I think yeah. it was the foundational aspect. It was this idea of, again, you have wow. women Marines. And I think that there are women that should uh, absolutely should serve in the military. But what I don't believe is that there should be a, uh, a, a separate standard. You either can or you cannot do something. That is it. And if you're going to make the argument that, well, we have these admin people, they shouldn't be. Sure, if you want to make a home force that is a chair force and that's all they do, don't call it the military. Don't don't besmirch the people who are going overseas, right. who are uh, preparing for battle and saying, well, they're the same thing or they help in the fight. Yeah, they can. But, you know, you could be replaced by an administrative worker. We see that, you know, they've replaced so many MOSs with civilians. And so the support staff, so the very idea that our frontline warriors are incapable of even meeting a minimum standard of being able to conduct themselves in combat, I ask you, what happens after our frontline tip of the spear forces, your Marine expeditionary units that are in their um, SOC qualifications and they're, and they're rotated in, or the ones who are preparing to rotate in? Well, what about the ones that are in refit? You know, when you have to draw them forward and they're tired or they're not trained or they're filled with young Marines who've not been through the cycle of training that I had to go through when I was on a mule. What about the <clears throat> fact that we completely retired the Army Boats Force and got rid of it under Congress's nose and do not have a replacement force with which to, to land troops? I mean, I don't know if many people may not know this, but the Army has more boats than the Navy does, and it's required to land material and 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 tanks and we've just decimated our military's ability so what we're depending on are our first strike capabilities and we're depending on a tech heavy military and uh and missile cruisers and other things whereas russia has a artillery doctrine counter battery doctrine that's designed to decimate you know 10 square kilometers uh we're talking about china who has so many people they can throw into the fight that quite frankly they could run with pitchforks and we would be overrun uh so there is no room for wokeism and it's embarrassing. Well, I think we're seeing the military reflects society at large. And this is, this is <laughs> the poison of identity politics where the, the, the idea we have a G I mean, everything is based on a Hollywood narrative. So you have GI Jane, that movie a lot that was out a long time ago. That's the reality. In most people's minds that are not in the military. I assume they'd figure, well, just, you know, more anything, usually more non-white males, is better. And so the more you have, it doesn't matter what the, whether these people are actually good at their jobs or anything like that. And so I'm sure you saw that where just the fact there were more women there, that's great. I mean, look at what United Airlines is doing and some of the airlines doing now. I mean, those of you who are scared to fly like me, uh, 
you know, they're, they're, they're this wokeism. I mean, military is one thing, but if you're getting on a plane and the pilot is unqualified and that's what they're doing, they're now saying, we, we've got to stop hiring white males. What? So you're, you're going to now, you're going to, your wokeism is going to make people fear having the plane crash because you're pushing this idea. So it's, it goes way beyond the military, but I think it reflects what we see in society at large. Well, so I think the drive to diversity, the, the idea that, <clears throat> okay, so there was a point and we have to openly admit this, right? So there was a point in our society where you would be in a room if you had 10 men and two of them were black and they were equally qualified and only eight people were going to get through. Right. right. And I'm saying they're equally all 10 men are equally qualified that there was a time in our history when the eight white guys would get chosen. And that that's a fact. Right. So we could get. But we've moved past that in the sense that the military is very colorblind. We were. And when I say we, we, we moved beyond it now, but we had for a while moved past that where it was a, a meritocracy. It was very clear uh, that the old guard had moved on, that people had become accustomed to the idea of you can do your job or you can't. And this was done through a, a great many um, changes, including in OICs and 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 uh, in NCO courses and in further on officer courses where where we were establishing a meritocracy and, and that it eliminated that. What you've done now instead is we've pushed for the idea that well, if we don't have women in combat, what we're saying is women can't do X, Y, and Z. Right. And I don't want to be the person that says a woman can't do that. And I go, um, I'm sorry, but <clears throat> I was downrange and I remember doing stretcher bearing and the idea of this, we had this four foot 11 female medic. We couldn't we couldn't even get body armor for her that fit her. She, it came, it hung down to her mid thigh and the whole idea of the body armor is that it fits. So it's not heavy because it's tied tight to your body. Right. So she couldn't even get body armor. And we had to carry this person that you got to realize that I'm six foot five. I used to be at a fighting weight before I got disabled, but I used to be, you know, uh, uh, 300 pounds when I was down range with water weight. Right. So I was 250 pounds, normal, all muscle, 300 pounds, water weight. You throw on my, my, the basic stuff you would still have on my body when I was on a stretcher and you're still looking at 400 pounds. So my question is who's supposed to pick me up when you're four foot 11 and you weigh 89 pounds and you're already carrying your own body armor and everything you either can or you can't. And right. if my life depends on your ability to do that and we're making a decision that, well, we need more women in, uh, to be in these roles. So we're going to send a person who's unqualified to do basic combat readiness things into a forward operating area. I mean, that's just insane. Well, I think we've seen this uh, in uh, uh, firefighting and uh, to a lesser degree in police as well. This, 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 you know, this mantra, this agenda to uh, diversify, <clears throat> especially in terms of more women or more minorities, whatever it's, it's separate standards. And you can't, I don't know if there is any meritocracy left in America, but certainly the military used to be, but uh, obviously, you, you know, when you were in there, I'm sure it was, it, it was eventually uh, you were in there for 19 and a half years. But I guess by the t if you felt strong enough about the vaccine, that's I admire anybody that stands up on principle enough because that's that must have been tempting because uh, military retirement is very nice. And you were that close. So you didn't get it. So you didn't get anything, even though you were that close to it. Well, I'm, um, so what I had done was I, I had I was already knew that I was going to get 100 percent combat disabled when I retired. Okay. So I just pushed that through. Um, very blessed to have 
known a lot of people up in higher up in, in the Pentagon. I, I got the date very early, um, communicated with my lawyers and and talked about what it would mean if I fought it and what that might mean for retirement. And the answer just came down to get out by January 31st. And so it's interesting. You'll see that I sold back leave just to get out and retire on exactly that date. And I still have the email they sent me the next day saying we have record, no record of you having taken the COVID vaccine. You must report to your commander. That's they sent it the day after. I was like, well, I'm out. Good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> but it's just uh, for me, um, you know, it used to be that the military, what you drew from the experience of the military, what organically came from the military created in society. So we were a reflection of society at large, but it became now we now have turned it into the social experiment. And so every experiment that everyone wants to run, they force it uh, from the federal level of the executive branch when you have a liberal in charge and they put these experiments in place and no one ever asks to see the results of them. No one ever asks to see what did that end up doing to our readiness to our and, and of course, we haven't fought a real war. Um, I'm sure your producer would agree. We really haven't fought a real <laughs> yes. war since then. Well, what happens when we go force on force with a uh, first world nation that has a first world military? Right. And what happens when the first wave, our best, are wiped out? Who's left? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the problem because we we have been, uh, you know, we've been used to So I mentioned China and Russia because we've been used to kind of, uh, you know, beating up and <clears throat> on little countries who don't have much of a military over there and, uh, just places we don't belong, making enemies around the world. So it's it's sad to see. But so you you come out of the military uh, <clears throat> refusing to get vaccinated, as so many of us did. And thank goodness I'm you know I'm a full time writer, so I don't have to worry about being fired. But I would have been fired if I was still in IT because <clears throat> I wouldn't have got vaccinated. But when you come out, so at what point did you? Uh, how long ago was that? And you said you ran for Congress. Tell us tell us about deciding to run for Congress and how that went. So that was, uh, I actually, so I started my terminal leave in roughly October of, uh, I, I had like four months of leave saved up. And so I used them, um, and I had taken, that would have been, uh, gosh, it's 2024 now. So that would have been, uh, 2021. So in the fall of our late, uh, uh, our starting of the winter, I took my terminal leave. And while I was there, I was trying to decide what I wanted to do next in my life. And I knew I wanted to serve my community and coming home to Texas was very hard because I'd been gone for so long. And um, what I knew I needed, I wanted to go out and meet my community. I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do. I knew I'd eventually start a business or do something. But I saw that that um, one, I, I didn't feel served by my uh a member of Congress. I won't call him a representative because I don't think he represents anyone other than no. himself. But uh, our member of Congress was not doing their job, and I and I and I wanted to highlight that. I I don't have any harbor any disillusionment that in a forty five day campaign I was going to unseat a twenty year incumbent, uh, especially in a district that takes uh, five hours to drive across. So I did, however, uh, get second place out of four people, uh, including beating a Republican chair. Uh, and I was very pleased, you know, pulled in about 14% of the vote. And I was very pleased with the idea that um, obviously what I was talking about was resonating with people. But more importantly, I was very impressed by the people of the district and hearing what they wanted and hearing what they needed um, and meeting with other elected officials, sheriffs, things of that nature. Again, we encompass so, such a large district that there's just so many counties. Um, so, but you have a dozen plus counties here. There's a lot of people with different needs and 
I, I heard a lot about how they need support of the agrarian sector down here, that, that they wanted it to stay localized, that uh, there was a need for mid-level tech jobs. You know, it's great that Tesla is moving down here, but that's not for everybody. And, and I, I decided to start a company off of that. I mean, once the congressional run was done and I had that information, then I set the problem solving. So I saw a complex problem, which was um, uh, one, utilizing uh, local resources. But secondly, uh, I saw a need for, uh, there's a, a drastic drop in quality when you want to talk about food that you would want for shelf-stable long-term food. Uh, you might call it survival food, prepper food, or camping food, whatever word you want to use. But we noticed, I, I recognized that there was a not exactly a high level of quality quality out there when it came to protein. Um, I I noticed there's a lot of beef crumbles for sale, and I've yet to ever find a beef crumble on a cow. And so what we wanted to do, uh, what I wanted to do was um, uh, start a company that would do something that sort of shifted the paradigm on the quality of food that was available. Once I proved you could do it, uh, freeze drying has come a long way in the last 20 years. Uh, and 30 years and it's a it's a booming industry and I saw an opportunity to, to help stabilize a resource that is uh, abundant in my district and um, we've been very successful you know we moved from uh, uh, 3,000 pounds to uh, 36,000 pounds a month uh, that we are processing um, and when I say that I mean uh, that's meat um, it's uh, we, we are the first company to ever separate tenderloin uh, New York strip and prime rib and, and serve those up as so for people who maybe uh, don't want, um, I don't know, grade C cattle that a go from a government auction, they could get prime cattle and have something that uh, they might actually enjoy eating uh, when they're either out doing uh, things that they normally do or whether unfortunately some of the events that might happen in the world happen and they find themselves short of uh, access to um, food that they need to help their family survive. So um, that, and we started that company, it went very well. Uh, it's been going, uh, extremely well. We're growing and we're reinvesting everything into our mission. Uh, we're a hundred percent American, uh, made. And when I say that, I mean, uh, our oxygen absorbers come from like Wisconsin, our, uh, which if you've ever had to source something like that, not get it from China, you have no idea how hard it is. Um, but we've worked very hard to make a local, uh, uh, America first company. And then, you know, I thought, okay, so that's serving my community. And, and that's what I need to do. And then, uh, and then of course, as you're aware, it got a little bit more complicated than that. Sure. And, um, Deborah Wheeler likes your website. She's already checked your website out. Um, so tell us, so you, you mentioned, uh, before the show that, so you had an incident, was it last year where you had to shoot someone or something? Talk about what happened there. Uh, yeah. So, <clears throat> so like I said, you know, my goals is serve my community, but you never, you don't think that there's certain things that you're ever going to have to do, but, uh, you know, last July, my wife and I took a, a date night um, for those who have four children at home and have been married 10 years. Uh, you know what a date night is. It means mm -hmm. I take my wife to a nice dinner. I take her to a boutique hotel. I save up and make sure I can get her a suite, get her a uh, bubble bath. I let her go to bed and I leave her alone and make sure no, because there's no kid <laughs> crawling all over her because that's what your wife needs. And so that's what we did. And we went to uh it's called the hotel Indigo uh, down here in Waco. It's a boutique hotel and, and we had dinner in the lobby and uh, we went up to uh, uh, go to sleep. And at three in the morning uh, we woke up to scream sounded like a child or a woman. Um, and I initially thought it was a medical emergency. My boat, I was immediately out of bed. I threw on just some pants, um, shirtless, shoeless, went out. As soon as I opened up the hotel door, um, 
I recognize it was not a medical emergency. It was a, a woman out there screaming into a phone that that there was a man trying to. I assume she was calling nine one one. Found out later it wasn't the case, but uh, she was uh, the man was in a room trying to kill these women, and so I retreated and uh, got my firearm, uh, forty five, and told my wife to uh, call the police. And she went and crawled into a bathtub. And I went out in the hallway and, uh, well, we have a procedure for this. And, and what I mean by that is, is that, you know, after 20 years, you just kind of have a home defense procedure. But I, I went out in the hallway and, and, and tried to deescalate a situation and draw a man out. And after seeing the 911, uh, hearing the 911 calls, uh, seeing the, the damage is done. Um, uh, the long story short is, is that, uh, my attempts to deescalate the situation and draw the man out succeeded. Uh, until he made a decision to suddenly lunge for me and pick me up by my neck. I mean, I'm down to 170 pounds now and I'm fully, I can't, I mean, I can't walk without a cane. Right. So, um, he picked me up and slammed me into a wall and, and went for my firearm. And, um, I had no choice, but to discharge, uh, the firearm and, and then still fight the man for a full minute, uh, while he, uh, pretty much gained control of my firearm despite my best efforts. But right when I was, uh, giving up the goat and, and, and thinking I was going to die. Um, uh, he started to, uh, fall and I realized I had struck him. Um, and you know, I cleared the room, um, checked on the safety of the women in there, uh, just, uh, disassembled the weapon. But, you know, looking back, one of the things that was crazy, uh, th- not crazy, but I, it still haunts me in a way is, uh, there's a number of things that just seemed so wrong. Um, one, I was alone out there. And having read the witness statements, I know that there were many men who cowered in their room that a firearm wouldn't even have been necessary had they just come out. Yeah. Uh, this is a 350 pound, six foot five monster of a man that I had to essentially engage in hand to hand combat with. Uh, and, you know, when you need the police uh, in seconds, they're minutes away. And I'm not to demean the Waco PD. They responded. They didn't shoot me in the back. Thank God. Um, although oh, you're they, lucky. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, although yeah. they put a we- yeah, they put a weapon in my wife's face. Who she was in a room. Uh, I, I made it clear as I could with nine one one as I was calling in a, a ambulance yeah. for the uh, guy, uh, and only one man did finally come out to help assist with medical aid. And and um, you know, it's 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 tragic in in so many ways because we found out afterwards and and we're still working through this with our lawyer but these women were uh they were there that night under the expectation of uh of sex trafficking uh that they were shipped up from Houston um that they had uh uh they've disappeared uh and based strictly just on language and other things. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that they had been trafficked across the border. Uh, there's no doubt in our lawyer's mind that they'd been trafficked across the border, uh, specifically for uh, sex trafficking. Uh, and and even more terrifying that it's happening in our small town in Waco in a boutique hotel and that it's possible it's been going on there for a while. We don't know. Uh, we know that there's a history of the person who was shot, um, that he uh, had been renting rooms there for extended periods uh, over weekends and that that women had been coming and going. And, and you know, we find out it's a sex trafficking ring, you know, and, and this is happening right here in our small town here. And I didn't go out that night, obviously, uh, to intending to, A, shoot anybody. I, I, up until the moment I fired the round, I wanted anything other to have to engage with the firearm. Um, but it raised the issue of, you know, I had to go before a grand jury um, uh, for defending my life and defending the lives of others. Um, 
I have to deal with the fact that, you know, at that moment, I genuinely thought that I was going to die. Uh, not, uh, not because I had done anything wrong, but because I had chosen to stand up, uh, that so many men chose to cower, uh, that, you know, the hotel had no security to speak of and that, that this is not the first violent incident there that I had never known. And no one still, they just think shocked and they find out it's a history of violence there. And, and so there's just so many questions from that, but, but one of the big ones that we focused on was, was my wife, especially as she's sort of processing this trauma has been the victims, the women who were there and, and how we can go about highlighting this to people who may not be aware this is what's happening in their small town, that this is happening in every uh, mid to minor city in this, in this country right now. And, and we have an open border that has allowed millions and millions of women and children to be trafficked across into sexual slavery uh, right now. And, 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 it's insane to me. It's a national stain. It's an embarrassment. Oh, absolutely. And you can see the comment on the screen there. And I, I am too, to be honest with you. I'm surprised you weren't arrested and charged. So you, because that seems to be the way that works a lot of times. So no one questioned uh, your story. How about the women there? Did they, did they, presumably they supported your account, I guess they didn't, you know. Well, the, all the witness statements, obviously. Uh, so I did have to go through the whole process of, of, a, of a grand jury. We were no build. I mean, the evidence was presented uh, and that made the decision to whether or not, um, you know, I would face a trial in this instance. And the jury was presented all the facts um, and everything. Uh, and and when they were given all of the evidence, including the 911 calls, the photos, the witness statements. I mean, the women uh, said that that they told the police that I saved their life. They hope I wouldn't get in trouble. Oh. Um, oh, good. So it's, you know, I. But I could say, I count myself. This is horrible. But in a country where I know I did the right thing uh, morally, uh, legally, uh, I used maximum restraint, as much professionalism as possible. I never once pointed the weapon at the man uh, when uh, up until the moment that he had, uh, had grabbed me. Uh, when you think about that, and I and I had to endure, you know, people in my community who you know, they get just a blurb and a thing. And it just says there was an altercation between people and mm -hmm. multiple women involved. I, you know, that sounds like a hit piece, right? I just ran for mm -hmm. Congress and I'm in a hotel yeah. with multiple women and, yeah. and that story didn't get out there. And then on top of that, you have to deal with, uh, uh, you know, the police, um, you want them to, to be, want to be honest with them, but you have to get a lawyer. And, and when I say you want to be, you are honest with them, but you still have to get a lawyer. You still have to expend a huge amount of resources to protect your family. Um, and to me in a country where, again, I know that I did the right thing and I've been trained to, to make the right decisions in this. And even I had to go through this. I can't imagine what somebody without, uh, all of that behind them is, is required to do, uh, in order to be the right. And, and then you wonder why people cower in their hotel rooms, I guess. Sure. Well, I mean, that's, you can't, I mean, I, people should get involved, but uh, you know, it, it's, it's a crazy world. I don't, I don't blame people too much for it. And the, the police should, you know, be entrusted to do the right thing. And so in your case, it sounds like, I guess they did, which uh, too often they don't. So that that's good to hear. So, uh, so you ran for Congress. So talk us about now what, because uh, I had a misimpression, you know, when I got the uh, information about you, I thought that you were, what, what is happening on the board? Because you're obviously, you're right there in the heart of all this, you're in the belly of the beast. So what are you seeing now? What do you, what do you think has changed? Cause again, this goes back a long time. 
uh, that now obviously Biden has opened the door wide open. And it's just, it's so, I, I'm assuming it's uh, Tony. I talked to Tony about it, who's from Texas. And it, it's as if maybe the average citizen finally at long last, it's hitting them. You know, this is ridiculous. It's, there's so many coming across unvetted that uh, you have to do something. But why do you think Abbott, because Governor Abbott has basically been there for like 10 years and really hasn't done much other than talk and, and maybe uh, transport, you know, uh, immigrants to other parts of the country. Why do you think, because he sounds like, a, you know, he's, he's really making a stand for liberty. Yeah, do you think this is a real thing? And what about the truckers? Have you seen any truckers yet? What, what's going on right now on the border? Well, so over the last, uh, you know, two years since I've retired, I've been able to spend, to live down here in Texas. I've spent many, I've spent probably too much time down at the border. Um, I, I'm very uh, blessed to know people in law enforcement and border patrol um, the last place I flew this flag was at the U.S. border uh, when I retired it because I was so ashamed of, of what our border looks like. I, I think that that what we're seeing, what everyone else is seeing right now in New York City and Detroit, Chicago, uh, what they're seeing is what everyone down here has been seeing every single day for the last three years. It has been just the wild west out here. Um, and, you know, my ranchers, uh, they own land all over because they move. Our, my, I know where my cows are up here in Waco, but they all own land along the border. And they've said it's gotten so bad that they've had to move all their cattle, which they can't, which means they have to have lower cattle yields because the fences are cut, because their cows are just shot, uh, just killed for no reason. Uh, because their uh, water uh, is poisoned, because they uh, there's just because of just the trash and human waste and hit, the impact on them, the ability to even conduct business, just grazing cattle for goodness sake. Yeah. Uh, the when you think about that Arizona cattle rancher who uh, his his land was uh, his land was invaded by a hundred plus people of which we know the, even the man he shot was a, uh, multi, multi, con, uh, multi-time convicted felon. I mean, this guy had been convicted of multiple felonies and that's the type of people crossing his property. And he's expected not to react to that. Um, we see the, uh, fentanyl that is absolutely, uh, yeah. just, it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. The opioid crisis in general was a disgrace and you can point to what they did to the military with that. But, but this fentanyl crisis that's being manufactured by China and pushed by Mexican cartels. And the fact that that alone has not led the Biden administration to shut down the border says that they don't care about what's happening to Texans. And they didn't care at all until all of a sudden it started impacting uh, their uh, core voting group, the suburban areas around Alexandria and Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. uh, the uh, uh, Upper East Side, the Upper West Side, New York City, um, the Chicago's Golden uh, Mile. I mean, they didn't care. They just never cared. And I uh, said Detroit's Golden Mile. I don't want to get that wrong, but I'm sure you know what I mean. Yeah. And, you know. What we've seen and with the so we have we have let's say we have a truckers convoy to go protest the border. So I was participating in their truckers convoy in Washington, D.C. And right now waiting on word from what I can do to help. We're standing by to bring whatever resources we can to support them as they try and draw this out and draw more attention to it. But what I think with Abbott is doing, because I want to get back to that point of it that you asked about. I think what he's asserting and what we have these 25 other states that have signed on to is the yeah. idea that. You know, we have a right 
to protect our, our, our states. That, that's it, with to, to protect the citizens of the state. And the federal government has failed. And if we're not allowed to protect the border of the country, then we're, well, why don't we set one three, you know, mile inward? We'll, well do whatever well, it takes. Well, you, you brought up something that I wasn't aware of. And again, I, I know this issue pretty well, but you know, the mantra is the only defense that the left have is that these are horrible people that are trying to get, I mean, these are horribly to, you know, poor people. They're trying to come across for a better life. They just want a better life here. Welcome to the open arms. But you're talking about, uh, so if they're shooting cattle, they're not, I presume they're not even, or, or are they, they're not shooting it to eat and cook. I don't think they're just shooting no. cattle to be malicious and uh, poisoning the water. What is, so how, what, why would poor migrants coming across for a better life be doing that? That should be focused on. And I'd like to see more Republicans I mean, not that I, I still don't think it matters to the social justice warriors, but to the average person. I mean, if you can't get excited about the fact that our borders are not being protected and just everybody's coming in. And as you, you know, during the COVID uh, uh, narrative, as I, I said, the reason I was uh, always you know, skeptical about that is because from the very beginning, the southern border was never closed. So this is a deadly pandemic, but you're leaving the, the border wide open and you're not making them get vaccinated when you're manning everybody else. So. This this is just a shocking situation. I, I hope that that something happens there. Do you get the sense in Texas that um, you're going to have a bunch of people that, that are going to come together? And I don't know what they're going to do, but certainly a show of force with truckers would, would mean something. So what I worry about now is that, you know, the United States is a tinderbox right now. Yes. I'm sure you're aware. And we... I, it's people have asked me in the past in other interviews, you know, do you think there's going to be a civil war after the election? And I said, my answer is I, I, don't, I, I hate when people use that word civil war, but right. Right. I think that if the final nominees are Biden versus Trump and it goes all the way to the end, no matter who wins, there will right. be mass, there will be massive civil unrest. Yes. Yes. Because if, uh, and we could go, but I'm just going to take one thread. So we could go, there's many, many reasons why, but I'm just going on one. We'll use the border as an example. If Biden stays in and he does nothing to change the border, then I see there will be no choice but for um, Americans to to take up arms and defend their border. That, 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 I mean, there's just genuinely, no, there is... We're not talking about people streaming across the border from Mexico because Mexico's under a collapse. We're talking about people who are coming across the border from every nation on earth, except for maybe the Vatican, but I'm sure there's a priest that snuck across at some point. And you have them, every nation on earth coming here. We have known terrorists who are being flown here after they complete their uh, uh, prison sentences in Azerbaijan and, and being brought to our border and released and coming in and then telling us that they're going to commit acts of terror and then released. That's a fact. Like, that's insane. And the only thing I can think is that they want, it's almost like someone is trying to provoke a reaction. And there's many ways you can look at that. If you get civil unrest, uh, you can uh, claim martial law. If you get uh, uh, terror cells that start striking within the United States, you can claim martial law. Uh, either way, the, the the government has, the Biden administration, the Biden regime, has turned around and created a problem that they know the re that the end 
uh, 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 consequences of that of that situation they've created will only result in the government being forced to take control and limit the rights of the average American citizen. Yeah, well, that certainly seems like they, they look for any reason to do that. But you're 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 right about the political climate. And uh, since Trump, uh, the, the the country has been the country already started to become divided under Obama. But since Trump, uh, it's it's almost split right down the middle. And there there are probably you know however many people vote for Trump, eighty million, at least that many people that are never going to accept these things. And uh, you, we're getting frustrated with the fact that, especially at the 2020 election, the 2022 midterms, that it doesn't look like there is any answer that you can't change things by voting because it doesn't look like they're either not counting the votes or, let's face it, because of the demographic changes, if millions of uh, illegal immigrants have come into the country and they're being allowed to vote apparently everywhere, they we need too much fraud because we probably are outnumbered at this point. So. What do you think the chances are? We went through secession in the 1860s. Um, almost a million people died, and, and it was it was drummed home rather <laughs> rather severely that this union is not a voluntary one. So, uh, what would happen if that? I mean, I you know it's exciting times, but it's also terrifying to consider the prospect of what the federal government might do if Texas really shows a strong show of force here. Well, so when you talk about secession and you talk about the the sort of, I mean, there can be no national divorce. It's just not going to happen. Not an amicable one. Uh, we live in different times now. We, we, we have a forward projected military that stabilizes many regions around the world. Uh, the idea of recalling those and thinking about the leap that would happen with China, Russia, um, Iran, other countries, the minute we pulled back our forces, the idea of the optics the optics of, I mean, wars is is genuinely hell. Uh, the idea of of inadvertent civilian casualties. I mean, when you talk about some, what, so Texas, so let's say the U.S. government decides to go and get into a battle with just Texas. I mean, there's a lot of blue Democrats down here, a lot of urban areas that that stupidly, faithfully vote blue. So what happens at that point, um, you know, when those optics, when you start seeing those TikTok videos, those, uh, you know, because, you know, China's going to push that just like they did the transgender ide ideology. So they'll push that through TikTok and watching Americans slaughter Americans. Just again, it's not going to happen. Um, it, if what we see happens, it's all going to be all at once. Um, it'll be the collapse of the U.S. government and it will be. Uh, version of the UN stepping in. I mean, you got to realize the size of our nuclear arsenal. Uh, there's yeah. no kind. Of, we wouldn't accept. Look what happened when Russia, uh, the USSR, broke up. How quickly we became involved in managing uh, the tracking of of nuclear missiles, uh, uh, ballistic missiles, ballistic submarines. We we very worked closely with Russia to make sure that that all of those things were tied together neatly because we didn't need any sort of rogue state actors to suddenly declare themselves X, Y, and Z and launch a missile. Uh, the United States has a massive ars arsenal and the idea that the world would sit by uh, while this happened, uh, while we had a, a, a true civil war is just not going to happen. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, and again, you, as you said, it's a, it's, we, we can't, we're, we're kind of like a someone stuck in a really bad marriage because yes. uh, we, we have irreconcilable differences. I mean, let's face it. I'm going to be optimistic and say 50% of Americans, I hope it's more, but let's say it's only 50%, half of the country, is never going to accept that there are 37 genders. 
is never going to accept that parents and doctors and schools should be involved in, in telling really little kids that they can be a, a different gender or they can turn from a boy into a girl or a cat, which is happening in some things. Never going to accept that. I mean, I, I don't care. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really pretty classical liberal on most issues, but that is just absurd. And the fact that that is, I'm sure, as you said, you saw in the military, it's all in corporate America. I mean, it, you'll, you'll be fired today if you're in corporate America or you're a doctor in medical school or anything, if you say, no, men cannot have babies, though you'll be fired for saying that. I mean, the most basic biological facts. So we're never, we're never going to, you know, be okay with that. And that kind of uh, spills over into this border issue where, you know, people understand that we, you can't keep having unlimited people and they, all these people are desperately poor, but I, I'm amazed that what you're, I'm, I'm glad to have your firsthand perspective. I didn't know they were killing cattle. I didn't know they were poisoning water. Is there, have they even tried to apprehend? Because again, those are crimes uh, when they first come across. So I guess if they're not apprehending them for killing people, they're not going to care about that. But do the authorities even attempt to figure out who's doing that and why Why are you just maliciously shooting cattle? Why are you poisoning water? I mean, is there any effort on that? Uh, they're, they're overwhelmed. I mean, law enforcement on the border is completely overwhelmed. Uh, again, you got to think about property crimes and where they're going to fall on the list uh, when you talk about the amount of other problems and other crimes that are the result of this. Everyone keeps saying there's only, uh, you know, 1% of these people might be bad. I I, I would argue um, 40%. You know, I mean, I because I got to tell you, I don't think that China and Azerbaijan and Iran and Somalia, they, I don't think they're sending us there, but who's paying for their tickets? You know, I mean, right. seriously, who's paying? Yes, think, that's a question. Yeah, so, who's so paying for us? <laughs> do you think maybe the Somali government is saying, hey, uh, we don't like you, so we're going to send you to Mexico. Here's a map and some, you know, a small amount of money. Or I, I would argue even that it's something beyond that. I don't I don't want to – George Soros is so cliche, but someone, people in Haiti, parts of Africa, uh, you know, Azerbaijan, any of those places, these are, these people must not have much of a vacation budget. How are they? Yeah. How, are, how are they? How are they getting here? And no one questions that they're just showing up. You think they didn't have help in getting here? Well, there's only three ways you could look at it. So either they have a sponsor, right? Um, they meaning here somebody paid for them to get a flight, right? Uh, and if someone's been here working for months, that's that's not an impossibility. So I'm not going to throw that out. It doesn't have to be nefarious. But let's go with the two more nefarious reasons: they're being used as mules, mm -hmm. or they're being expected to carry out a mission here in the United States. That's it. Those are the only two other options. I Now, again, I'm talking about the 40% that are bad. Am I saying that they all... Look, I, I, I understand the desire to want to come to the United States. I would love to take in a bunch of the Christian uh, Chinese uh, who want to flee communism, and I'd love to take them in. I, I could guarantee that the the would improve our country. It would improve our country. I what, can what, tell you... Go ahead. Well, what what do you think would happen? Let's say because I believe this is a racial thing as well. I mean, I I because it's it's virtually all non-white immigrants that are coming in. What do you think would happen if uh, you know we, we understand there's some white farmers and so forth in South Africa that are not doing too well? Do you think if a bunch of them wanted to come over, how do you think they? Uh, my my guess is the government would turn them away, and would suddenly use the immigration authorities in that regard. 
It's funny that you say that. I actually uh, know two South Africans who are now U- U.S. and and they tell people, well, we're African American when they're white. Uh, yes, but they yes. were born right. So, uh, you know, if you're asking me my opinion on on whether or not our government is setting um, DEI at the immigration level, the answer is obviously yes. Uh, they've made it abundantly clear that's their policy across the board. Uh, if you're asking me how that how, how I think that it should work, uh, I think it should work that whoever is qualified and whatever our quota is for the year, uh, if you're qualified and you meet the standard and you're on the list and you've done everything you're supposed to do, that I, I'd welcome you with open arms. I don't care what skin color you are. But if uh, we're doing it based on your skin color, and that's the only reason why we're doing it, then obviously that's not a meritocracy and that's not equal. That's not fair. Uh, and it's actually sounds to me to be an agenda driven thing because you're making a lot of assumptions about people. And I right. think people forget that Latino families actually are really conservative and they aren't buying into this uh, 38 right. genders crap. No, out. they're not going to buy that. That's, that's one thing they, I, I guess they didn't see that coming or whatever, but they're absolutely not going to buy into this trans. They're largely Catholic and they're certainly, they're certainly not going to, by end of that, but the Donald Trump first started being called a racist, not because of anything he said against black people, but because of the fact he got involved during his campaign and with the angel moms and people like that. And he went and visited Kate, Kate Steinle's family, who was killed by an illegal immigrant. And this, this woman was killed, murdered by someone who had been deported several times before. And what's not reported about that, and that was the case, that's what got Donald Trump, uh, by all of Hollywood, calling him a racist, because he objected to that. Kate Steinle's own family objected to him being involved. They called him all kinds of names, and the jury acquitted the illegal immigrant. They believed his ridiculous story that his, his gun he accidentally- picked up a gun, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, this is unbelievable to me. That's where, so how can you deal with these people- and again, Trump, that was a, that wasn't, ex- he didn't exactly take a real controversial stance. He was saying people that have been in the, that came in the country illegally and that have been deported several times and then murder somebody. Let's stop that. And apparently we don't even want to stop that. So I guess it doesn't surprise me that, uh, pe- that cattle are being killed. And well, I mean, maybe if, if they poison enough water and a whole community dies, would they even point the finger at the right culprit or would they try to blame white supremacists or something? Well, you know, you're you're pointing out a very important thing, which is the idea that uh, remember during COVID when they shut down the schools and they did this whole even, you know, one grandmother dies. If one child dies, if one teacher dies, then it's, you know, uh, we we failed that life must be protected. So we're going to set our uh, entire education system back uh, 10 to 20 years in standards. But I digress. Here's my question. Why doesn't the same standard apply across the board when it comes to things that are easily preventable? Again, we have immigration laws on the books. We have standards. Mexico is a country that takes in asylum seekers, meaning anyone who comes to the United States that is not from Mexico who is truly seeking asylum from Mexico, and they'd have to have a really good reason to be seeking asylum from Mexico because right now there is no religious oppression or uh, oppression of uh, uh, LGBT, whatever. So therefore, why are we sitting here and and just ignoring our own laws? I don't understand it. Again, these are not people seeking asylum. They could find asylum in Mexico. Well, what, what, do, you, what do you see, again, firsthand when you're there, First of all, it, let's talk a little bit about the we've heard and we've seen pictures of Alex Jones and others saying I, I, how true that is that 
the migrants, I don't know if this is all my, and I, what's the difference between migrants and immigrants? I don't know, but uh, the, there's a huge number, overwhelming number of young fighting age males that are coming without any yes. women, without any children. Uh, do you see that? And what, what could be the possible excuse that you're going to, you're going to, why are all the young men migrating here? So uh, I, I've had the opportunity to uh, not only witness it, but get many, 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 many firsthand accounts on uh, this disproportionate amount of military age males, the routes they take uh, that, uh, you know, what you see in the media and on the news with all these women and children, uh, those are the vast minority, not the majority, um, that uh, many women and children don't ever make it through those processing centers because they are being trafficked. But that the military age males overwhelmingly uh, are the majority of the people who are coming through. I I would normally, when you use the word migrant, to me, that means somebody who's coming up for seasonal work. Um, there is a process for that. We have a robust program for that. So these are illegal immigrants. It doesn't matter what they are. If they're not legally doing them, they're illegally uh, migrating and immigrating into our country because they're not going back. Right. So I I. I think that there's a plan there. I, I can't help but notice that again, when prisons start emptying out in South American countries and we have just look, look at the video from where those, the police officer was beat in New York city and the men who yes, are flipping yes. up the middle bird, they're, yes. they're covered in, they're covered in tattoos. What are those tattoos? I mean, you know, and they were released without bail, right? Released I mean, without bail. Four of them have already <laughs> fled. Four of them have already fled. The January 6th prisoners have been in prison for three years and denied all due process. These people beat up cops. And how, how did they beat up fully armed cops? And that was another thing. I, I was like, what, what, how does that happen? I don't wonder. I guess the cops, if they shot them, I, I don't, but just, to me, that's just the, the situation is well, unbelievable. Again, you, you look at, uh, so that incredible restraint by the police officers, but I got to ask the question, once you start getting kicked in the head in the back, the intent is obviously to incapacitate <laughs> yeah, you, right? Yes, yes. And and to kill you. So I, I don't know. It's similar to my feeling on those who abuse children. I, I just yeah. think it would just take a few public hangings and to make it clear to people right. that and, and people say, oh, well, then, the, you know, these people who abuse children, then they'll kill children. What about those? children? Well, let me explain something to you as a victim of sexual assault when I was a child. First of all, it does not. Your life is already ruined. Second of all, the idea that, that somebody's going to do that, well, then they've murdered a child. So again, we, it's not like we're going to not find them. Then that's the same thing. You're a child murderer, public hanging. I, I don't understand why the laws have not been changed and adapted to fix that. I want to see restraint on behalf of my police officers. But when I see police officers who are surrounded, 10, 15, 20 people who are violently attacking them. Right. My question is, why are they not using lethal force? And why? Yeah. And the reason why they're scared, they, they think they're going to turn around and wonder, am I going to be prosecuted? So yeah. their choice now is death or prosecution. That's such a horrible yeah. thought. I mean, I, re yeah. I I sat through this process of wondering if I'm going to be charged and having to go through the I bet you did. Yeah. process and over and over and say, did I do the right thing? And would I... And, and the answer comes down, I wish it had been different, but if there's not a single thing about that that I could have changed, and therefore I wouldn't change. And, and you you were lucky. I, my audience agrees. I mean, it, I, I'm really shocked that you weren't charged, to be honest with you, because the 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 logistics are all right there. White former veteran, you know, attempts to stop a, probably an illegal immigrant that was, you know, <laughs> messing with trafficked women. I mean, because this is clearly something they want to cover up. I guess because they they must because they don't do anything about it. But it's just 
So you're you're in the you're in the heart of the belly. So you're you're confirming what we know is that that the I mean you have immigration. I just I just can't understand local law enforcement, whatever. If they're seeing things like cattle being killed and, and water being poisoned, and but you already talked about the mess, and that's another thing that's not publicized by the Hollywoodization of it. I, I Tucker Carlson had uh, before he left Fox News, he had a great video on there. It showed what an absolute mess they're making of waterlands and stuff. With just uh, where are the environmentalists? Where's Greta Thunberg? I mean, it was unbelievable the stuff that's that they've killed. I mean, they've probably killed all the species there. I mean, it's unbelievable the amount of trash. It's there. Uh, it, can we just openly admit that that whoever it is, and I hate using the word they, and like you said, you could point to Soros. Oh, there's a they. Whoever. We don't know who they are, no, but there's right, a they. Right. <laughs> well, uh, you know, they hate us. They yeah. hate everything the United States represents, the ingenuity that comes from capitalism, the idea that, I mean, uh, our, our standard of living, we have fat, poor people, guys. We live in a country where, of- where poor people can get diabetes. I mean, that's insane to me. And and we talk about, uh, you know, you have whether it be representative, uh, excuse me, Congresswoman Ilian Omar, who hates this country, Rashida Tlaib, yeah. who hates this country. Uh, uh, I, I don't even want to say her name, but a certain loudmouth from New York City who used to be a bartender. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, the, they, they hate our country. They hate us. Yeah. They genuinely hate us. We homeschool. You know, we homeschool. We don't. Uh, we don't give our children vaccinations before a certain age. You know, they tried to take our our smallest child from us. We had to fight the uh, the uh, CPS system because we didn't want to give a Hep B vaccine to a to a two day old. Why would a, a person who doesn't even have a an, an immune system yet need a Hep B vaccination? And and they, people don't know who they're messing with when they come after me. So good for them. Uh, they always lose because I win. But that said. You know, I feel like I'm a dying breed. I feel like we're a dying breed. Those of us Americans who are willing to stand up and do whatever possible yeah. for our families. And that, and that's what, you know, I get I get that all the time because when I write things, they say, well, what are you doing? You know, you're, and, and it's true. I mean, I, but what I'm doing is I'm putting myself out there. I'm making myself a thawed criminal. I, my social credit score, if they ever install it here, would be the lowest probably ever recorded. And I, you know, when, when I've made myself unemployable in the market. Nobody's going to hire me with me, with all, all my broadcasts, my writings, my books. I mean, they're, they're going to say, what this guy, are you kidding? Nobody wants. So I don't know what else I can do, but I, I admire you doing what you're doing because it must be frustrating, especially after January 6th. And that's why I wonder what's going to happen on the Texas border, because clearly the government has shown what happens if large numbers of Americans get together on the other side and try to protest something, something will be engineered and they'll be turned into insurrectionists and demonized and, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, I'm scared that that will happen there, but on the other hand, you have to do something. And uh, I, I guess I just worry that if there isn't an appreciable number of people there, there'll be an FBI informant in the crowd or something that'll shoot or something, something like that to precipitate something. You, do you worry about that? And do you think there will be, what's your feeling there? Do you, do you get the idea that lots of people will show up if they, if a- Abbott or anybody calls for a rally so that do you think something like that will happen? Uh, you know, I, I, um, and you, you probably don't know this, but I was there January 6th. Um, I was oh, okay. reporting for at the time. I was still active duty, but I was um, doing some just citizen journal uh, journalism. I was in a full suit and overcoat. Um, I watched the police remove the barriers so that anyone yes. past the initial group would have no idea that they were violating uh, a space. Yes. Um, I, I saw the uh, I was there up on at the monument and down below where I saw the police. Um 
uh, actively uh, at, at people who were who were obviously agents of the government, uh, also bad actors and 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 some Trump supporters who are idiots. Um, and so when I look at the totality of it, one of the things that always stands out and I always point out to people is whenever they show the videos uh, from uh, 9-11, I mean, Pearl Harbor, I mean, January 6th, uh, <laughs> is that they always show this massive mob of people, right? Yeah. What people don't realize is, is that all of those people were fresh up, up against the Capitol. So they were right up against there, right? And that there was this massive expanse of lawn. And then you had where the original fences were, right? And you had across from that 998,000 people who had all marched from the Capitol, uh, from the from the rally. And it filled, you couldn't, and until they started setting off um, explosive devices, uh, what I mean by that is flashbangs and things like yeah. that. Until that started up on the steps, uh, when those people, what I mean by that is the 998,000 people then began to disperse and go home. But up until that moment, you had, so if this was an insurrection, that was a pretty poorly done one because those mob didn't do anything, but they've been able to manipulate the, the event itself and combine a number of things. And again, take what might've been probably about 20 or 30 uh, idiots and then add in a mix, rile up a crowd, and you end up uh, where the only uh, two deaths inside that uh, day were from uh, uh, the protesters. Um, I've, I, I don't remember how many BLM riots that ended in deaths from the police shooting protesters. Um, oh, absolutely. Well, we, we've had we've had uh, Ashley Babbitt's mom, Mickey Waithoff, on the show twice and uh, tried to get someone from Roseanne Boylan's family who was also murdered and doesn't get any publicity. She was beat, uh, Gary McBride, who's been on this show, did a lot of uh, work. And I didn't know you were there. That's that's fascinating. We'll talk about that. That's you've been right. In, I, well, are you? I'm a very low rent Forrest Gump. I've been, uh, I mean, I was downrange during Benghazi and uh, most people don't realize that was a version of the Tet offensive where they attacked yeah. every fob in Afghanistan. You and have, so boy, yeah. Acting like it wasn't a thing that was just Benghazi is insane. Uh, but no, you know, uh, uh, January 6th was, uh, uh, I was there with, I had a security team. You know, we uh, followed all instructions. We interacted with the police and identified ourselves as media. Uh, uh, it was just something I was doing for Twitter back when I had, you know, no, no Twitter followers. I had 8,000 followers or something, uh, on Twitter at the time and now X. But the point is, is that, you know, we went out and we're just trying to get a live feed of what was happening. And I, uh, will say civil affairs that got the atmospherics and could feel that things were turning and we, we moved out of the area. Um, and the, uh, final picture of me is right before they started all the flashbangs, if you will. So, uh, but it was one of those things where um, while you were watching it, you were watching it live and saying up at the Capitol, you're seeing all the people with the earpieces. Um, you go down there and you see the minimal that they pulled all of the police, essentially, uh, that you could see the tactical teams, the crowd control teams being moved out of the area. Uh, when things like that are happening, you start to go, this doesn't add up again, like the COVID response. Um, this all seems to be the opposite of what you want. Uh, if you don't know about Congress, then and you've never been inside the building and have been there many times, then you wouldn't know that those doors, uh, they don't open. You could need an anti-tank rocket to open them. So all you have to do is yep. lock them. 
Well, plus that we again we have one video. We have the cops uh, letting waving people in, and that and if this and by the way, and it's, it's it has to be the only insurrection in modern history where no one thought to bring a gun. I don't know how you could overthrow people oh. with the, you know where, where there were no guns there. So what kind of insurrection is that? Well, even if we talk about that again, the idea is so intent, right? Um, first of all, it, it, let's say a worst case scenario. People go full Reichstag, go in there and they sh shoot up the place, kill every member of Congress. Got, I mean, that would be the worst thing imaginable. I'm not I, I, like if you're a nut and you're thinking, please just right, stop. Right, but right. the point I'm making is, is that it, let's say worst case, like a, like in a banana republic, they go in there and execute everybody. Um we're a, a 50 states. There are 50 executives that have an, a, a national guard available at their disposal. Do you really think that a few hundred people who walked into a building were ever going to actually overthrow? So let's take out, they don't have weapons. Let's take out the fact that Congress wasn't actually in the building by the time anybody ever breached it. Right. Um, let's talk about the fact that they opened the gates, opened the doors, uh, uh, all of those things. And when you start to look at it, you say, this was purely about optics. When you talk about the pipe bombs, uh, you know, the pipe bomber that was never found, even though it's like the largest reward I think I've ever seen. Anybody right. right. Uh, when you see all of this, you just think, um, again, a conspiracy doesn't require a lot of people to enact. And a lot of this was for optics. They wanted this. They wanted to be able to use this for years. There's an agenda here. These people have been to Davos sure. together. They go. The World Economic well, Forum you, is not you, a joke. You, you have people like uh, uh, you know Joe Biggs, who was with Infowars, that got 17 years. You have people like Enrico Terrio, who wasn't even in Washington, D.C., and he, the, lead, the Hispanic leader of the white supremacist, probably. An odd, odd choice to be the leader of a white supremacist group. Uh, he's not even in Washington, D.C. He gets 22 years. Yet you have Ray Epps. I don't know if you saw Ray Epps there or not, but He's, I think, the only protester caught on camera more than once saying, yeah, I'm to urge people, let's go inside the Capitol. He's urging people to do that. They ignore him forever until there's so much public pressure. They finally, after he has a sympathetic piece in the New York Times, is the only insurrectionist they love. They love the guy. Uh, they finally give him a six months probation or something like that. I mean, did you did you see him there? Because he seemed to be front and center everywhere. So I was on the opposite side of the Capitol. Um, I didn't move up into where they were with the rigging. Uh, the police, again, had opened the barriers and waved people in. I have video of that. So that's very interesting to me. But we um, I, I'm not an idiot. I recognize that 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 this was entrapment. So I didn't go up in there. Uh, he was on the opposite side of the Capitol uh, the night before. I do know people that knew him. Uh, but at that, uh, at least you have bananas. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that, but I, I, I think when you look at the, the it, Ray Epps is such a, it's so obvious that he was a plant and, and if he wasn't a plant, then it's so obvious the government was doing selective prosecution. Yeah, absolutely. Now yeah. we know it's selective prosecution because we saw that just a couple of weeks ago, they tried to breach the white house in the Palestinian protests. Right. 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 That's right. And we know that during Trump's administration, they attempted to breach the white house, which by the way, would be a true insurrection Yes, uh, to yes, kill the executive. Yes. The chief executive yeah. is about as insurrectiony as it can get. Uh, but this idea that that there's a separate standard across the board for this is just insane to me. It's insane that that people who were little grandmothers carrying flags and walked yeah. between velvet ropes are being punished. Uh, now, again, you went up there and you uh, broke a window uh, with the intent of going into the Capitol. Um, 
I, I, I don't know what to say to you. That is, that is a crime. Um, now does it deserve 50 years in prison? I don't know your intent and that's what you have a lawyer for. But when you are just up there protesting because there were no fences and you were told to go in and then all of a sudden the crowd starts pushing you forward and you have uh, uh, people who are, are obviously feds in there telling you to push forward. And then next thing you know, somebody opens up a door and waves you into the Capitol exactly. and walks you through. I, how is that a crime? Absolutely. And, and, and why if, if you have those people on videotape? Why aren't the Capitol Police trying to find out who the traitors in their midst are? Because they were, you know, accessories after the fact to the insurrection. If that's the case, nobody knows who they are. They're all given gold congressional medals. I, I, you know, a lot of people questioned whether or not, and on the left, whether or not the government was putting or the right was putting uh, fake protesters in there with BLM, and it was given a lot of credence in the in, in the media, right? I mean, they talked about it a lot, like, hey, maybe there's some uh, right wingers in there setting fire to liquor stores. Just a uh, never once is anyone in the mainstream media giving credence to the fact that we know we have videos of Antifa changing clothing. Yes, uh, and yes, saying, yeah. a, a, I mean, that we you had a you had an Antifa uh, videographer in there. The same person who captured the murder of Ashley Babbitt is the same person who turned around and and was inside Jordan. Our uh, gosh, my Jaden X was inside the Capitol uh, with video. I mean, who let him up there? I can't yeah. go up there. Well, I, Nancy, I, Nancy Pelosi's daughter was right in the middle filming something, wasn't she? I think well, she was. She right, was right. But, <laughs> right. She's, but she's the, 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 her daughter, at least. I mean, we could talk about the setup, but I'm saying, but yeah. Jalen X, how the heck was he up there? In yeah. what way, what, what credentials would he have offered to, uh, I believe it was NBC. I don't want to get sued, but it's one of the major networks. What would he have had to offer to them in order to even be allowed access to that? In other words, did he have information on who would be infiltrating the crowd and what they were doing? Uh, why, you know, he's not a subject matter expert on, on uh, Republicans uh, or on Trump. So there's so much of this that stinks to high heaven. And when I look at what the government has done since COVID, um, especially the lockdowns and, you know, it's, again, I, I'm not here to sell my company, but it's why we started it. It's, you know, they want you to eat food that's manufactured in a, a, a lab they want to inject your cattle with the same poison that they injected Americans with. Uh, we know now that that every single conspiracy theory uh, turned out to just be a conspiracy. We know, I mean, like every single one of them. It's not even funny anymore. It's uh, the old joke that if you hear a conspiracy theory now, you're actually just hearing the uh, news three to six months in advance. Absolutely. This is the way the people, the people that I mean, people tell me all the time because I've been, you know, I, I, I got started investigating the JFK assassination as a teenager back in the mid 70s, working with Mark Lane, Citizens Committee of Inquiry. I've been down these rabbit holes forever. I've been awake since <laughs> almost nobody else was, but uh, it started with the JFK assassination, rolled from there. This is the way people, these people do business. I mean, there's no reason to trust any narrative, like what, whatever they say is going on in any other country in the world, whatever they're going to, if they, if anything happens at the border, whatever they claim happened, you know, it's going to be disinformation. It's just, you just know they're not going to, because we have every single incident that happens from January 6th, going back forth to 9-11 to Oklahoma City, the assassinations. Every narrative they put out, if you investigate it all, you realize they're lying. So at this point, why would... And you coming from the military and everything, it's uh, I don't know how any American trusts anything that our authorities say because they lie all the time about everything. Well, they do. And yeah, I seeing a comment right there. It's very interesting because I, I, I do have a comment on that. Um, 
I think there'll be an election. I mean, barring a war, Taiwan makes the jump, but but either way, they have the the lame duck period, right? Because um, we only have one president, uh, and you're gonna have lame duck period. And I, I I worry about that more than I worry about the election at this point. I I I think that um, again, there's multiple ways they can they can kick this, you know, light this firecracker. There's just so many ways in which it can that they can do this. And so, I, I mean, my head is on a swivel and I see it everywhere and I worry about what's going to happen because I think there is no question. Well, they have to because the the, the, the psyop that was January 6th, was because, I mean, again, you have at least everybody that voted for Trump. You know, it, probably I would assume that's 80 million or whatever. They knew that something was wrong with that election. So they obviously were suspicious about it. But. After January 6th, when they saw people and, and you, you know, again, I, I, I'm glad you weren't caught up in it because you were there. But, uh, you know, they have people, you know, Owen Schroyer, you know, high profile figure that he, he ended up serving 60 days or something. And he he's on video telling people not to go into the building, the opposite of right apps. And they still yeah. you, know, uh, so. you know, I, I think it's purely timing. I think there was just again, I, I, I will call it instinct, uh, but. The thing about January 6th that is probably the scariest to me overall is that uh, even though so many more Americans are waking up to the idea that their government is capable of of framing fellow Americans. And we could talk about um, the governor of Michigan, the plot against her to have her murdered, which in reality was just, (laughs) you know, I mean, that's sad. Right. Uh, But I, I think that. It's this is sort of our Kennedy assassination in a way where you have people that you're going to buy the narrative because they need to, because it feeds their uh, my team. Yeah. You know, that that's everybody has. So every side has the my team group. OK, no matter what, uh, they're going to take my team. Um, I think as we move forward in this um, election, I think what people are going to be ready for is the, and, and unfortunately, even if we had an actual event that happened that was organic and real, and it doesn't matter what it is, people will no longer trust our institutions. And when you no longer no. trust the institutions at all, and I, and, and, and I, I haven't trusted the institutions for years and neither of you, but uh, and I'm sure many of your audience haven't, but. Yeah, but we've never been so divided. You're right. And then and, and so you you hit the nail on the head. It doesn't I mean, if Trump is involved, obviously, you know, nobody's going to trust it. But even just just the Republican Democrat split here at this point, unless the Republicans nominated some you know absurdity like Nikki Haley or something, if they nominated Trump or even uh, Vivek or somebody like that or RFK Jr. somehow came over there, uh, most people would rally behind them that are you know on the other side that are awake to the corruption. But however, you're right because we don't trust the voting process. There's, I mean, people tell me all the time, I don't know why. Why are you even talking about politics? Because you know, there's no point. And it's true in a way because there was no fraud acknowledged by the authorities from 2020, and they're prosecuting people, including Trump, Giuliani, his lawyers. They're being prosecuted. They're being they're being uh, sued by Dominion voting machines, which are at the heart of the problem. The voting machines are. How do you possibly, how do people have trust in a process like that? And then the 2022 elections where you had, uh, you know, uh, Carrie Lake, who was also being threatened with prosecution for complaining about the vote. So I don't know why Republicans would expect, I don't see how you can win in that president. It doesn't look like they're going to let you win. Well, there's, there's two important takeaways from that. Okay. So, and I think one of them is, so the question is why vote, right? Yeah. But here, here's my answer. 
even if none of our votes counted, right? Even if we knew this was rigged, the thing is we can't all look at each other and say it was rigged if we can't all look at each other and say, I voted. So if everyone looks at each other and says, well, I voted for Trump or whoever's in there and, and you get allowed uh, and, and people pull their ballots and start doing a legal process of checking that and doing. So I, what I'm getting at is if you want to be angry, you, you, you can't just say, well, I know it was rigged. You have to say I voted and I know it was rigged. So that's got to happen. You, you, you have, you lose your integrity if you don't vote. The second thing is, is that I think that what people need to realize is that we see what the fault is. It's at our legislator level. And so much of, um, well, let's be honest. So many conservatives have jobs. You know, we work. We have families to raise. We have, we're busy keeping America running. So many of us don't volunteer. So many of us to work polls to, to register people to vote. Right. Uh, so many people of us don't go out and and work on election day to poll watch. Uh, so many of us don't are willing. Th these roles are filled by people who are on welfare, who are being bribed to go in there and, and sit there or, or, or who enjoy that $5 an hour paycheck to go and count votes. Uh, uh, all of these systems, because it's different state by state. But if we don't get involved and if we don't force our legislatures to go back to a paper ballot, uh, to go back to it being counted in one night. I mean, I count, I total up my receipts every day. Uh, yeah. it, it, every American store in the world or every American store in the country it tallies up their receipts at the end of the night and does just fine. Right. So uh, if we don't go back to that and we don't go back to in-person voting with ID and mandate that at the legislative level and make that our priority, uh, we never will have the elections. We should never have gone to, uh, I mean, Democrats didn't want them before. You have plenty of testimony on the Hill, just like you have plenty of them calling elections stolen with Trump and, and all of that. You have the same thing where they say that these are untrustworthy machines. They aren't being sued. They don't have yeah. anybody from Dominion suing them for $300 million. Exactly, yeah. So, and yeah, so the only answer is, we use their words against them and we mandate it. We make it a priority. We say the border and election integrity are the issues we want fixed immediately. And if you don't fix it, then we'll replace you immediately. Well, we certainly hope that, uh, that that's happened in Texas. And again, I agree. Greg Abbott's kind of an unlikely, uh, hero in this regard. A lot of us criticized him because he's, he's, he's really not done a whole lot. I mean, I, a lot of us think that, I think that's why Carrie Lake, again, I know her background too. All these people's backgrounds are, or dubious if you look at him. So you had to, you know, can't trust anyone, it seems. But she uh, was certainly threatening to do something about the border if she got in there. So I think really the, the election looked pretty rigged against her because they didn't want that happening, assuming she would have done it. But they don't want any border control at all. And it's just, it's just to me, I, I just, other than, I guess, if people in other parts of the country, maybe they're not impacted by it. You're seeing it right there because you're in the center of it. But I don't know how understand how people can think that this. Look what happened in New York, and look what happened in Hyannisport, Martha's Vineyard, whatever that one day. I mean, and that shows what can happen that you can't because those, those wealthy people, those wealthy liberals, screamed and went nuts when a handful of migrants go. Oh my God, we have to do something. The National Guard, the governor, the Republican governor of Massachusetts called out the National Guard immediately, and they were deported out of the state. They were taken out of the state. Why can't that's what Abbott should have done a long time ago? Because it's obviously a much bigger problem. But they would scream and cry that he couldn't do that, even though you had the precedent there that Massachusetts shows you can't, as long as it's the right community. Same thing in New York. Look at all the officials in New York are going nuts because of the illegals that have been 
you know, flown there by Abbott and DeSantis and so forth. But so it shows that, again, they're okay with it unless it happens in their backyard. Well, I mean, you, you look at what Abbott's doing, but it, and you want to think that it's the right thing. But I think, again, it's almost like too little, too late. Uh, but the it's a shell game. You know, the federal government brings in these people and they move from from facility to facility. Uh, then they process them then they ship them on a plane or a bus somewhere. And we have no idea where they end up. So even if you wanted to, as the governor say, as soon as they release them, we grab them up. Uh, you're you're not going to. And again, they're going to argue that an immigration hold means we can't. So where are we going to put them in a, in a camp? Uh, again, it's about optics. Are we willing to take? You know, here's what's crazy. Democrats were willing to take the absolute massive hit that they took in order to pass Obamacare. They took it. And they knew that eventually, once it was institutionalized, nothing. There's no way they, they could escape it. We refuse, as conservatives, and I, cause I don't want to say Republicans because not all Republicans are conservatives, obviously. But we refuse to just go for the throat and take with ours, and then deal with it later on. I mean, we were able to get it done with Roe v. Wade, right? But here we are sitting here right now between whether it be the transgender issue or whether it be the border or whether it be endless wars and 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 trillions of dollars spent, you know, helping other countries lose wars. Uh, the end result is is that we we have to at some point just sit here and 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 make decisions and go and go for the throat and say, hey, we're going to make a decision that you can't change two years from now and we may lose the majority of congress but it's already implemented it's it's now institutionalized and the democrats are willing to do it and they and they play together well and we don't yeah and, and again that uh, you can't discount that's why i say about we have irreconcilable differences because i again i i can't reconcile with somebody that thinks that an open border is okay especially when you have people like this that are coming across yeah maybe there's some good ones i'm not saying there are any good ones but First of all, we don't need good. We don't need anybody. We already have too many people here as it is. You're already telling Americans not to have babies because uh, it's irresponsible, but you're bringing in so many people. Birthright citizenship was never ended by Trump. It should have been ended. Uh, there, there was no deportation force. All that stuff should have happened. And, and now look at the mess we have where we're, we're facing a real crisis. This is, this is really a, I'm not saying it will happen because a lot of times these things just, you know, they just, it turns into a nothing burger, but and it goes back to business as usual. But to me, looking at from an outsider, I, I'm you know reminded of Fort Sumter. This is a this is a moment where you know things could, if, if, especially if Texans really remember the Alamo or something and decide to go and and really make a stand. Of, and I don't know they'll do that, but I'm, that's why I'm waiting for this trucker convoy. And I hope you'll you'll let me know from the. Uh, from you know seeing it firsthand, whether you see these people show up there, because I mean they said seven hundred thousand. That would be I don't know if there are how many trucks there are in the United States, but you know if if you had thousands of trucks that showed up like that, man, that would be. You saw what happened to Canada. It would be like that, and they would have to take actions like Trudeau did, which were obviously very unpopular. I, I don't think as bad as they Biden and them are. They don't like the optics of that. So uh, I think if they push them, they're I don't think they're going to want to get you know engage in military battle with people that are trying to guard the border you know you think that but again every single thing that biden does seems to go uh counter to what you should do so and and he's just a puppet anyway i mean he's yeah. not let's let's stop i i almost think we should I, that's why i try not to say uh, uh resident biden i try to just stick with the biden regime because i truly believe it's their <laughs> yeah. people um uh 
you know, these people, if they solve problems, they won't get reelected because they would have solved the problems. And then they get to go home and let somebody else go in and find a new problem and solve it. That's why I believe in term limits. It's why I believe that uh, we need to uh, do everything we can to hold people accountable for the things they promise us. Uh, we've allowed uh, so many things to go so wrong for so long that uh, the only way we're going to dig ourselves out of this hole is just by looking each other in the eyes and saying, we are going to fix this. We are not going to stop. Uh, I've dedicated my life to uh, getting the word out, um, I, I, to to building a company that, that and we don't talk about our, our work in the community, our charity work, but to do everything we can to support our community. Um, we've done, uh, as a family, everything we can to take a stand publicly. Um, I do as much media as possible to continue to spread this word, and I try to deliver it in a way that I hope that people uh, might change some minds, uh, unharden some hearts, uh, I should say soften hearts, but I, I think it's uh, a middle ground. And I just, you know, I wish that more Americans would stand up and do what you're doing. And, and you know, I'm doing my little bit, the, everything I can. But I think if we all just committed to this and just said that we're just not going to take it anymore. And we are just not going to let them mutilate our children. We're not going to let them uh, turn around and take a quarter to a third of an entire generation and sterilize them uh, because of an insane liberal agenda. Uh, I think that we need to start. I mean, we could get people to stand up for the unborn. Uh, when are they going to start standing up for the born? I mean, when yeah, are we just yep. going to start taking care of our children? When are we going to decide who we are as a country? And um, you know, as we close out and I appreciate you having me on, but I, you know, one of these things that is probably the, the most important takeaways I think people need to have in life is that you need to be prepared to be self-sufficient right now. Uh, you need to realize that. It, yes, please. It, before, before you go, give, give out your website again and to promote. Oh your, yeah. Again, yeah. Again, I, I, it's, we're not here to sell a product. I, I just want to No, just, but you that's should, right. But yeah, sure, promote what it, you people go, go to prepperbeef.com. You want to support a combat disabled owned business. Uh, that's, we do everything. You don't have to trust me. You could just know that everything I'm telling you is true. Uh, and that is that I walk with those cows. We turn around and uh, have the man slaughtered humanely. I am involved in every step of the process to silo this uh, and make sure that it's available and safe for your family to have when you need it most. That said, whatever you do, whether it's uh, don't rely on having guns and ammo, uh, because that means you're just going to plan on stealing from someone else unless you're a hunter and you have that property. What you need to do is start building a system, uh, a, a community of like-minded people, uh, find out what your yeah. skill sets are, uh, and start preparing yourselves for the inevitability that uh, there is some seriously hard times coming in this country. Um, there will be kinetic action, whether it be war, another, um, it could be famine based on what's happening in Ukraine and Asia right now between the rice and grain harvests. Um, if you're not getting yourselves prepared, um, Last year, you're already too late, but it doesn't mean you can't start getting prepared now. Go find the resources that you can to be self-sustaining. Find reverse osmosis machines so you can have water. Do the calculations. Make sure you're preparing for your family's sanitation. Make sure you have medicines that I don't sell medicines. So go find some place that sells medicines that you can set aside, antibiotics, things of that nature. And uh, start preparing your families because if you're not a part of this fight, you're still going to be a part of the austerity the fight brings. And the fight is going to happen somewhere in this world, and we are going to be involved, and it may even be here. And if you're not prepared, uh, then that means you're at the mercy of, of whoever's in control of your area.
And not all of it's going to be friendlies. A lot of it's going to be people who are going to have massive strings attached. Absolutely. Well, Jason Nelson, uh, <clears throat> it was wonderful to have you on the show and we wish you a lot of luck. You're right in the center of the action and, uh, you know, you have my email. So email me any, uh, Anything exciting happens that maybe people don't know about, I'd love to hear some uh, reports, right? Because you're right in the beast of the belly there and uh, you're where the action is. And uh, let's hope the action is uh, productive, let's say. But I, I appreciate you being on the show and good luck to you. Thank you so much. And if I get some videos from the trucker convoy, I'll make sure I email them to you. You can have Please. That would be great. I appreciate that. Thanks so much, Jason. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Okay. <clears throat> so we'll, uh, we'll close that a little. We'll have a little bit uh time here but the chat room's really been uh buzzing today you guys are uh talking about uh pizza and taters uh, there's deborah wheeler best uh i hope jason saw that best to you lots of people good good lots of uh, i love having a uh an active chat uh of course lots of jew talk in the chat and i know yeah you guys know i'm open to that but you know i, I can't put that kind of stuff up on because it's uh <clears throat> again it's, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm holding back on anything, but, uh, but this, this border thing, really, that's why I want to have Jason on. It's, it's very, uh, again, already kind of things have, you know, cause I wrote about it uh, earlier in the week on Substack and got a lot of good play out of it. I think zero hedge, put a, you know, zero hedge publishes some of my stuff now. And if you guys don't subscribe to me on Substack, you really should. I want to see some more familiar names there uh, commenting or at least subscribing to it. That's donaldjeffries.substack.com. It's called I Protest, just like this show. And I also have another uh, substack that is getting pretty many subscribers now as well. And that's uh, that's just called Donald's Newsletter or something. But you'll see, I, I if you subscribe to that, I, I publish a lot of old, because I have probably on my old WordPress archive. And if you want to ever have fun, just, you know, overdosing on Don Jeffries for whatever reason, uh, you can go back and it's probably, I got more than 10 years worth of uh, articles over there on donaldjeffries.wordpress.com, keeping it unreal after my novel, The Unreals. And I had lots and lots of uh, things there that I, the ones that I think are worthy, I, I publish on that Substack kind of as a best of. And uh, most of them are still relevant, even though uh, you know, some of it's dated if you're talking about current events. It's John Lawler. No word about my shirt today, little John. Okay. Uh, let's see, Everett ever, Rockfin. Not too many over. Not too many because most people are over here. But uh, Karen Carpenter's in both places. So Karen, you're uh, you're very versatile. You're in Rockfin and YouTube. I like to see that little John's over there too. Dylan Thompson, AM Wake Up, who says he's here for the Jew talk. Yeah, there's always Jew talk, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely had that all the time. And, you know, I get caught in the middle because I, I get accused of you're not calling out the Jew and then I get the other side, you know, well, you're anti-Semitic. So uh, it's hard to win, but it's hard to discuss these issues, obviously, without mentioning uh, that. And uh, White Wolf says, I don't know whether the Texas border is a distraction as part of the run up to the coming uh, summer of turmoil. I, I don't know, because it, it, it looked like it was really going to, but it, we've, you know, I, I talk about the World War III stuff now all the time, but it's it's not. I mean, how long, you know, if you guys listen to me and Jeff Rents or you listen to America Unplugged or my show, you know, we've been talking about uh, being on the brink of World War III for what, two years maybe? 
because of you know Ukraine and then uh, and then with the Hamas in Israel, uh, you know, a few months back that was going to be World War III. Now maybe Iran. Uh, you know, I, I think this is a fear porn thing, and uh, let's hope it continues to be because nobody certainly nobody wants us to go <clears throat> to World War III. But um, World War III has been planned for a long time. What with it? But I, you know, I would argue that we're already in. And I talked about this before, that it, we were already in World War III, and that I think is the, is a real world war all around the world. And that's the COVID psyop, the greatest psyop in the history of the world. That's all, the governments of all the world against going to war with all their old citizens, with all their own citizens. The the real van man says, "We'd love you, Don." Well, I appreciate hearing that. Thank you, uh, <clears throat> Stephanie Green. Good to see you here. Good to see Deborah Wheeler. Good to see Karen Carpenter. <clears throat> All the lovely women here today. Stephanie says, what's the site for the Wednesday show again? I wrote it down and I lost it. It's freeworld.fm. And I apologize for sometimes I've forgotten to do the show. It's not in my head yet to do 8 p.m. again uh, Wednesdays. Uh, <clears throat> but the other night I was on Quite Frankly. And uh, you guys can actually catch that on YouTube. It's getting pretty many views on there because White Frank has not been banned from YouTube amazingly enough. So uh, you can, it was all about the JFK assassination and my, my JFK book that I wrote with William Law, Pipe the Bimbo and Red, the brand new book. So if you want some JFK discussion, uh, you can go there on YouTube and check out Quite Frankly's channel. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 the site that we're going to eventually trans, uh, uh, transition to, like so many others in this country, is freeworld.fm. So and it's it's actually broadcasting there now. I went over and looked in the chat room and almost nobody was there. So hopefully people start going over there. But the Wednesday uh, show, I'll promote it when I'm going to do it because hopefully I remember to do it. And it's just me ranting for an hour. And but I really really re uh, rely on the chat in a situation like that. So last time I did it, we had pretty many there. I mean it was you know I'd like to see more, but it was it was a pretty good turnout in the chat room. And uh, if we you know get a <clears throat> enough of them, then I like to respond to your questions and comments. And uh, so just know Wednesday, freeworld.fm. And, and you can start you know, going to freeworld.fm for everything, because we're going to be, this This is really being simulcast there, as they say. Geesebuster, hey, good to see you, buddy. Better late than never, sure. You, you jumped in. You can catch the archive, too. Thanks, show, too. You know, my show is, uh, is not only archived at americaunplugged.com, but we're on the Rents Nation. You know, Rents has a big network, and he rebroadcasts it, I think, four times every week. I'm not sure what the schedule is. It's like, I don't know, Wednesday or Thursday, something. But you'd, you'd have to I – I think there's a way to find his schedule. But it also goes to um, Alex Jones's band.video, which is uh, really big. And I thank, the, thank uh, the great Charlie Robinson for getting me on there. <clears throat> he helped out by uh, interceding there, so that was great. Okay, we're looking at people – you're talking about food on here, where to go to eat. Stephanie says, thank you. GBGN1 says, hey, Don, good to see you. I saw Chris Graves briefly here. Uh, he said, hey, Ola, and then, and then he uh, was gone. So I hope Chris is okay. I hope he's listening. Karen Carpenter says she watched the show with Frank. Great show. And, you know, Frank is uh, is Susan Olson, my buddy. You know, probably my most, my most celebrated celebrity friend who uh, – is a real friend now is Susan Olson who played Cindy Brady on the Brady Bunch. Those of you watching Brady, and she's really cool. I've had her on the show before. <clears throat> Maybe I have to have her back, but I, I hesitate a little bit because she's uh, she's really anti-Muslim. So the people in the chat that you know 
want to talk about Jews all the time would probably go wild. I have to keep the discussion to, uh, <clears throat> to Brady Bunch, but she's very, uh, she's kind of anti-Muslim, but she's, we're on the same wavelength about a lot of stuff, but um, she's really cool. But she uh, is uh, quite frankly, is her favorite show. I think she even likes it better than mine. And uh, <clears throat> so she loves the guy. And so she was watching. So that was nice knowing. I never thought I'd be doing a show where a member of the Brady Bunch would be watching me. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Uh, let's see here. Harlan Stone, well, good to see you, buddy. Last con convoy with con accent, yeah, ended up looking like a handful of trucks, slow rolling the roads, yeah, holding and making it look like hundreds. Of, and that, you know, that was, and I remember writing about that critically at the time because the the Canadian uh, <clears throat> convoy was held so much promise. But but ultimately, what happened though? I mean, nothing. Trudeau cracked the whip on him, started, didn't he? Confiscate their bank accounts and uh, just horrible things like that. And again, apparently, the Canadian people like the wake. The woke Americans here support that kind of tyranny, and that—that's where we are now. We we are we are so divided. People don't, and that's why I said about yes, there's massive vote fraud, but you can't underestimate the the changes in demographics and the changes in mindset. There there's a there's half the country that really, to one degree or another, is okay with fifty-seven genders or however many. Somebody reminded me it's eighty some whatever, however many they are, more than two. Let's say that because that's insane. <clears throat> but they're okay with that. They're okay with you know uh, you know kids identifying as cats. I mean that kind of not. They're okay with critical race theory. With and these are mostly white people that hate white people. They're okay with the Great Replacement, uh, and they're okay with endless wars everywhere. You know they're all you know. I stand with Ukraine. So knowing that, you know what you're up against. And again, it's, it's like you're like you're married to a spouse who's a serial abuser or a serial adulterer is cheating nonstop. You can't get him to stop cheating. What can you do? You know, you, you I mean, I don't believe in divorce that much either, but um, Karen says, I've seen a few interviews with her. That would be funny. Yeah, I'll have to have her on. If you haven't seen it, she's, uh, yeah, I'll have to have her. She's, let's see, what not? when I had her on the last time, but uh, <clears throat> she's a lot of fun. She is really cool. And just from the beginning, her and I hit it off. I, she's one of those people. I don't know. You just sometimes, you know, when you first start talking to somebody, you know, you're on the, the, the same wavelength. Sam Bodie Street, oh my, Cindy, the creator. She is, she absolutely is. Um, and it's Groundhog Day. Deborah Wheeler makes a reference to Puxatami, I guess Puxatami. So great movie, Groundhog Day. I think the I think I heard for those of you who care, I think I heard my wife that the uh, the groundhog didn't see a shadow. So that means we're having an early spring. I don't know what that means to you people out in California, but the people on the East Coast, I guess it means something. Um, Real Van then says divided and defeated. Yeah, and so we are. You know, we are. It's it's gonna at some point it has to reach a critical mass because uh, and especially the people in Texas now Texas is gonna be converted I guess into you know Democrats because it seems to be they're flooding the place with that and they're becoming more blue as they say every day but at some point the people there are going to just they're they 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 can't keep I mean I can't imagine what that's like I mean I you know I don't I don't see that much of it in my area in my area immigrants and there are, there are you know plenty of them. But uh, they're confined a lot to uh, lawnmower crews. I mean, I'm one of the few people in my neighborhood that still likes to mow my own lawn. But most of my neighbors have, um, you know, crews, and they're all Hispanic. I mean, I don't know how many of them are legal or not, but almost none of them speak English because I, you know, 
we've, we've had them out to do work for other things here and there, and you can't really hire cutting down trees, things like that. You really can't uh, hire ones that are not. Um, so at some point, you know, but if, if in my area, like in Martha's Vineyard or like that, if suddenly we saw a bunch of them that were, I don't know, they, they're like, I don't know what they did in Hyannisport other than just to flip them out. I guess they weren't serving them in restaurants or, or, you know, working as bus boys or doing their landscaping or whatever. They looked out of place. They weren't in their place. They weren't in the back of the bus. So they, uh, they freaked out. And of course they got instant service like the wealthy do all the time. And, uh, but, you know, if, if that, I think if it happened and you see what's happening in New York, because it's, they're not used to seeing that there. But so the people that have to put up with it in Arizona and uh, Florida to some degree a while back, I guess that's, and that's certainly DeSantis. And again, whatever you say about DeSantis, he's done a pretty, a pretty good job uh, in terms of, uh, I think, it's, other than, you know, signing the anti-Semitic law, you know, how Israel, before anybody reminds me, yes, I know he's, uh, he's basically wearing a yarmulke all the time. Um, little John says, I have dandelions in there. I, I've been known to have dandelions. Absolutely. No question about it. Um, Stephanie says she loves doing yard work too. Splitting wood, mowing fun. Well, I don't split wood, although we have a fireplace. We've used it one time. I, I don't know. I, I can't figure out how to use it the right way because said, well, the smoke's all, if you know, the, the smoke, I either have to leave the flue open while it's on, in which case the cold air competes with the heat. And then you have to leave it open at least for a little while after this, so the house doesn't fill with smoke, so it gets cold again. I don't. Maybe some of you who are experienced that can give me some uh, advice on that, but because uh, that could come in handy, obviously. But I have a, you know, I bought I bought a a small little generator. And I urge everyone to do that because you could have um, you could easily have massive power outages. We know they've already suggested that. We know there's nothing uh, in our leaders that are going to stop that from happening because they. Uh, they don't care. And this is the kind of stuff they're promoting. And uh, every time we, we have, a, and we don't have many snowstorms anymore, but uh, we had one uh, week or two ago, it was fairly big for us. And I did worry about the power going out because uh, now Don is taking cues. I'm not sure. Hmm. I, I, that went over my head, Karen. I'm taking cues. I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> Little John says yes on the on the on the uh, on the generator. Yeah, I mean you have to because, and I'm talking about get get a solar one because they can't control the sun yet. But uh, you know you get you get one of the oil ones and you know they can control that with the price of oil and make it hard to get. You know so you you don't. Uh, yeah, that's why White Wolf says soon after the grid goes down, you won't be getting fuel either. That's why you get a solar one. Mine wasn't that that expensive. It was it wasn't it was and again it's it's. I haven't had to use it, but I think it will, uh, it'll charge cell phones. It'll, it probably will power a laptop, maybe the TV. I'm not sure about that. Um, the, a light or two. I don't know about a, a portable fridge. I don't think it would, you know, power a, a big refrigerator or anything, but uh, at any rate, it beats not having any power at all. So I, I would suggest that uh, everyone look into that if you can, but let's see what are the other, uh, well, we have the Super Bowl coming up, and uh, I guess uh, again, you know, for, for people like me that have been talking about these these things being fixed for so long, there's more talk about that than ever because of the presence of Taylor Swift. I mean, it was no shock to me that I think that you know the, the powers that be love the Chiefs anyhow. They're trying to build up Patrick Mahomes. He gets more 
he gets more calls than any player I've ever seen, any more good calls from the officials. But with Taylor Swift there now, you know, with her boyfriend, Mr. Pfizer, uh, uh, Travis Kelsey, you know, proudly showing his Band-Aid and things like that, um, I think you're going to see – I'd be shocked, let's say. You know, I'm rooting for the 49ers to the degree that I still pay attention to these spectacles. But, uh, again, I'm very dubious of her being there. I think it again, it's just, it just, again, it blurs the line between uh, sports and entertainment. And it is entertainment. Uh, Stephanie says that she has, we have solar uh, gems and one gas powered. Plus the wood said, well, you're set, Stephanie. Everybody can go to Stephanie when they go, because <laughs> you've got plenty there. Uh, White Wolf thinks the Super Bowl was, no, White Wolf, it's not, it's not till uh, a week from this Sunday. They, ha they have to have a week in between to do all the promotion. And you know, they're going to have tons more probation promotion uh, than usual um, because of Taylor Swift. John, little John says, with the generator, I can get DirecTV working. Yeah, absolutely. And White Will says, the NFL is already – absolutely. I got to get – I had him on before. Um, GBN, GBN says, Mahomes is the new Brady. Um, I had uh, Brian Tui on, who, who beat me to it and wrote the fix, the fixes in about game uh, at the end uh, – sports world being fixed. I've been saying it for a long time. Don Leverett says, if, if power goes out, will that free me from the directed energy weapon? Well, that's it. You know, there, and there's several of you out there. Karen Carpenter has been on my show, Stephanie Green, uh, that are, are dealing with this. So yeah, that's a good question. I don't know, maybe there'll be a, maybe there'll be some upside, at least to some of you guys. Um, Karen Carpenter says, quantum of conscience has been doing a great show. Karen, I missed it when you said I am I'm cute, K-E-W-S. I missed that. Uh, but she asked me, do I like the pretenders? I did like the pretenders. Um, yeah, Chrissy Hine and the pretenders uh, back in the day. They were pretty good. Um, I like their, their Christmas song, uh, Thousand Miles. I think that's pretty good. But yeah, certainly uh, I, uh, I listened to them. I like that kind of music. Elvis Costello is my favorite. Uh, I like Graham Parker, who's become my friend somehow. Uh, which is amazing enough. And I, I had him on the, uh, I guess we, I interviewed him with Ella when I used to do the Don and Ella show, but that was an interesting show. Uh, he, although I don't know, you know, I have a feeling he's probably pro-vax and something. So I, I, uh, I'm not sure how that would go. And I already had a bit of it because I, you know, I hated disco back in the day. I mean, I really hated disco. If you read my novel, The Unreal, you see how much I hate disco. I mean, that, <laughs> that came through from the young guy, Jeffries. But um, I was so happy when uh, in 1979 or so when uh, that a new wave came in and just destroyed disco. And it was, I was I, so I loved all those groups and the pretenders were right there with them. But, I, you know, and, and obviously Elvis Costello, Graham Parker was there as well. He was kind of Elvis Costello light. So when I mentioned that on the interview with him, I said, hey, man, I just want to thank you for helping to destroy disco. And he told me, oh, I like disco. And I said, What? And he tells me he liked disco better than New Wave. And I'm saying, oh, God, say it ain't so, man. I mean, it was it was so disillusioning. I said, you've got to be into this. you got to be kidding me. White Wolf, why doesn't that surprise me? He listened to the Boston Pops and said he didn't like uh, – uh, he never liked disco or rock. So, well, I love rock. I love rock. I love music. I mean, disco is really the only music I, I just I, – I just, you know. I couldn't like. I mean, I mean, some of like, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, Disco Inferno, Roller Coaster. I mean, they were okay to dance to. I guess see Riley's over there. 
Um, let's see who else I'm missing. Okay, Riley's over in the chat now running that chat. Um, and the Bee Gees, you know, the Bee Gees, because I love the Bee Gees, the original Bee Gees, and I love the, uh, yeah, 2,000 Miles is a great uh, song. That's what I was talking about. 2,000 Miles. I said 1,000, 2,000 Miles. Yeah, Bodie Street said, girls liked it. Uh, White Wolf. I, I, oh, I have two fans of the Boston Pops here. Let's see. Okay. Oh, Karen Carter, don't tell me that. Elvis Costello, well, who wasn't? I mean, other than Eric Clapton. Ah, well, there you go. And uh, yes, I, I like the I like the Bee Gees disco music. They're, they're, they're disco about as well as it could be done. That's not saying much. Don Lambert uh, loves the Moody Blues. Karen Carpenter hated that song, Funky. Well, I, I, yeah, oh, God, I hate that. And uh, was it Disco Duck? And <laughs> Oh, there were just so many stupid disco songs. But, uh, oh, was it I'd Love to Love You, Baby? Oh, God, I, who got paid to write the lyrics to that? It's I'd Love to Love You, Baby, over and over again. Somebody got paid for that. Well, Karen, you and I would get along. It was a huge Springsteen fan back then. Absolutely. And I still, you know, I still, I, uh, you know, I kind of try to juggle that in my mind because it's undeniable. That his, I mean, you know, Thunder Road is still, I think, one of the classic rock songs of all time. And I listen to his music a lot. And, uh, but boy, it's it's hard to, to still relate to somebody who toured with Barack Obama. And that's the problem when you know that, uh, these people are there. That's why I don't want to know any more about Elvis Costello. It doesn't surprise me. But uh, at any rate, these uh, this has been a nice meeting. It's nice hearing what you guys listen to. Stephanie Green says Justin Hayward was hot. Okay. Well, I'll take your word for that. I don't know. <laughs> I tell you who looks hot still is uh, Susanna Hoffs of the Bengals. She just published a uh, photo. She just turned 65. And I... I don't think I've ever seen anybody look that good at 65 before. She, I mean, she was, I always thought she was really, really good looking back in the day, but man, uh, if you see that out there, see, I, I've, I've never seen anybody uh, look like that. Kevin Carp says disco duck. Yeah. It's um, yeah, it's crazy stuff, but um, so at any rate, we're winding down here. Hope you guys enjoyed the show and um have a nice rest of the Groundhog Day out there. And uh, I guess let me make sure I... Uh... Okay. Just want to make sure I have any message there. Well, again, thanks, everybody. And I'll, uh, I should be doing the, the Donald Jeffrey Show next Wednesday at 8 p.m., freeworld.fm. Please remember, Substack. Please subscribe to me there if you haven't already, donaldjeffries.substack.com. And I love your comments here. You can come over there and comment. We have a really active chat there. Uh, not many of you. White Wolf does. White Wolf is, is great there. But uh, and uh, but I, I think Dawn Lambert, I've seen her there before as well. So we would love to uh, love to see you there as well. So please subscribe to me, donaldjeffries.substack.com. It's the only place I'm not chatting about on the Internet. Anyhow, thanks so much for listening to us and listening to I protests. We'll see you next week at the same time. Take care.